Why would a good God allow evil and suffering in the world? Today I bring on the expert, Dr. Clay Jones, who's written a book titled just that, Why Does God Allow Evil? And he spent uh, most of his career studying the, this uh, problem of evil, and uh, the book is excellent. You can get a copy by following the link in the description below. Uh, Dr. Uh, Clay Jones is a uh, associate professor of Christian apologetics at Talbot Seminary at, at Biola University in California, and uh, we had an excellent conversation that I think you'll uh, rather enjoy and benefit from. Of course, the problem of evil is something that we've all struggled with at some point or another, and uh, Dr. Clay Jones does an excellent job of answering the question. If you want to watch a bonus segment, Five More Minutes with Dr. Clay Jones, you can follow the link in the description and head on over to our Patreon page and become a supporter of our show. We appreciate you uh, uh, showing your support. If you enjoy the episode, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave us a review. As always, guys, enjoy the episode. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and I am excited to introduce my special guest to you. His name is Dr. Clay Jones. How are you today, sir? Very well. Thank you for having me on, Hayden. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you're having a, a pretty good day over there. You're on the West Coast, correct? It's it's a, Weather here is beautiful, so uh, yes, it's a nice day and it's Saturday, so yes, all is well. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to do this, and I know a lot of our listeners are going to be excited to hear from you. But uh, uh, for those who are not familiar with who you are, if you don't mind giving us a, a little introduction of who you are and what you do. Well, uh, I, I like to say that growing up, my father was an atheist and my mother was an astrologer, and that together we attended the United Methodist Church. <laughs> that's that's uh, fantastic. The United Methodist Church we attended, of course, didn't know the Lord at all. The pastor didn't know the Lord at all. Uh, but my dad, when I was 11 or 12, I'm not sure, became a Christian and uh, gave up his womanizing... Uh, gambling, hard-drinking ways, and my mother gave up the occult, became a Christian, and I knew, I thought, this is real. I think the fact that they're, you know, that having this background of, uh, you know, my father, he would really say he was an agnostic, but he lived like an atheist. He surely, you know, I remember having Altizer's book, The Death of God, on our shelf, and, and, uh, and that was disturbing to me as a 9, 10, 11-year-old. Uh, the, just the idea that God was dead. Yeah. But I think it made me interested in truth claims and uh, what's true, what's not. So I got into apologetics. Man, I was in love with apologetics by the time I was 15, yeah. for sure. And uh, so and I've been doing it one way or another ever since. Well, that's really interesting. Do you know, uh, and if you don't mind me asking, of course, do you know what uh, pushed your dad from agnosticism into Christianity? Uh, well, he was he was uh, invited to uh, what's called a Christian Businessmen's Association thing, and and I think he'd had an affair with my mom's best friend, uh, and I think that he had just realized that he was just a desperate sinner. Yeah. And uh, as a result, he was, and then he was invited to hear testimonies of people who'd become Christians, and I and I just think it had a tremendous effect on him. I think the Holy Spirit convicted him that he was indeed sure. a tremendous sinner, and and so he, uh, you know, I mean, repented and became a became a Christian. That's awesome. Well, I just was wondering if it had if it might have had to do anything with apologetics. But you said you got into apologetics at a very young age. 
Um, was there ever a time um, I've, I've found that, especially for myself and a lot of other people who are uh, into this world of apologetics, they've kind of found apologetics by what I call just they found it by necessity. For like as for myself, uh, I, there was a period of time where I had a crisis of faith, and it was either this is either true or it's false, and I can't go on, you know, just mustering up blind faith. Was there ever a time for you like that where you're going had a period of doubt or anything like that? I wouldn't say. Uh, I mean, I went had I've had some doubts, you know, right. and I struggled with some doubts over the years. Uh, but I, I I didn't get into apologetics because of that. I think it was because I I just felt the need to be able to articulate the truth. But I there was when I was in college, I majored in philosophy, and I remember uh, I was reading, uh, you know, uh, Descartes and him saying, "I think, therefore I am," and I have what I call my lost weekend where I really sat there and went, how do I know I exist? I mean, on what, what's the basis for knowing that I exist? Uh, of course, thankfully, that didn't last that long. And, and a, uh, an apologist, I asked, we actually asked John Warwick Montgomery that back in the day, and he said, there's certain things you just assume are true, and that's one of them, that I exist and that I have a mind that works. Uh, yeah. Are one of the things that you just because frankly, think about it. If I don't exist and my mind doesn't work, well, we might as well not talk anymore. Right. Well, there's no conversation. There's, we'll, we'll just stop. Uh, we'll just stop thinking at all. And so yeah. anyway, but so I've had I've gone through periods of doubt, Which, and I've so yeah. So you think the route to apologetics kind of was actually first through philosophy? Then kind of sounds uh, well, like I think the route to apologetics was because of my parents. Like oh, okay. I said. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that my dad. You know, rejecting every really, he rejected everything religious and thought my mother was crazy. And my mother was into everything that you could imagine that was religious. If it was religious, my mother was into it. And uh, like I say, the occult taught me to use a Ouija board and taught a little bit of uh, palm reading and, you know, was taking me to Buddhist temples. She was a real new ager. And so I, I just think there was uh, just kind of a, so how do we know yeah. what's true? Yeah, that's I see that, yeah. Just right off the bat, I was interested in knowing what's true. Right. And so, anyway, and no. I happened to be at a church where Walter Martin and John Work Montgomery were involved. And uh, so that, you know, I, I've sat under their teaching for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense how you kind of had a, a, a models of the opposite end of the spectrum, so I can see why truth would be a big deal to you, for sure. Right. Um, w- where does the focus on the problem of evil come in? Well... I mean, so, I don't know if you actually consider yourself focused on that, but that's what kind of well, like yeah, the perception... Well, I, okay. I, I've spent most of my life, uh, that is the major focus of my uh, life, uh, and I came to it, uh, what I... I came to it oddly. In fact, in my book, I say, I think I came to the problem of evil exactly backward. Uh, And what happened was, is I began to, the Lord began, when I was a pastor at this large church, a youth pastor, I began to realize the glory that awaits us in heaven forever. And I really thought, and once I began to realize that, it became, well, somewhat consuming to me. And I found the the idea life-changing. Because, as I say in one of my blogs, you know, I mean, that we were born to lust, and you're either going to lust after God and his kingdom, or you're going to lust after people, possessions, positions, or pleasures. But, uh, so I started studying the glory of what it means to be a Christian, and I studied and taught on that for years. And there, there, there came a time, though, after studying that for years and teaching on it, that I thought, 
it was it was logical. So okay, now I understand where we're going. That we're going to live in heaven forever with Jesus and in this awesome state that unfortunately non Christians and the, and even Christians have misunderstood, where they think we're going to just be sitting around on clouds and strumming harps and singing endlessly. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, it but anyway. Uh, I began to study where we came from. In other words, I began to study the, the depths of human sinfulness and the lostness of humankind. And when I understood the, under, the glory that awaits us forever, and then I began to really get a good understanding of the horror of human nature and how we are really corrupt, uh, frankly, and, and I, th I know this, some people will even find this a little troubling, but frankly, the problem of evil went away. I just didn't see it now, and like I say, I chronicle this in my book. Why does God allow evil, and 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 the progression there? But and there weren't questions. There were still questions I needed to answer, but the basic problem went away. And and I quote D. Martin Lloyd Jones, a famous preacher of Westminster Chapel. He put it this way: He says most of our problems are due to a double failure. We fail on a one on the one hand to understand the depths of our sinfulness. And we fail, on the other hand, to understand the height, the glory, the wonder of what God has called us to. Mm. I think that's true. I think he's absolutely right. I think most of our problems, most of the Christians' problems, most of them, are because they don't understand those two things. Sure. And anyway, once I got those two things, like I say, the problem of evil became very small to me. And then over the years, you know, somebody once, 25, 26 years ago now said, you know, why don't you write a book? And I thought, you know, I should write a book. Well, I didn't know it would take me 23 years to get the book out. Yeah. But it took me 23 years to get the book out from that point. <laughs> and, uh, but, which is good, though, because I, I, I taught a class on it at Biola University in our Master of Arts in Christian Apologetics program. I taught that for years, had a chance to interact with students, see where they had problems, and then answer their questions. And so anyway, that's how I got into this pro this issue. Yeah, you did kind of come into it uh, exactly backwards. That's interesting. But, uh, well, yeah, because most people come into it, they, they see a problem, right? and they go, why does God allow that? I didn't, I didn't come into it that way. I came into it well, backwards. I came into going. I don't see the problem. Let's. Why do other people see the problem? Well, it makes sense that the guy who doesn't see the problem should write the book because you probably got a pretty good answer. So. Well, uh, I would anyway. Hopefully, I, I'll let. Uh, I'll you'll let, just let me uh, say that. Yeah. I'll yeah. let the readers decide whether no. that's the case. It, it, you should definitely pick up the book. There will be a link in the description. It is a great book on on the problem of evil. So let, let's kind of go into the the problem of evil. We got your backstory and the history of how you got to the problem. Um, uh, let's start with the, how is it normally stated? How is the problem of evil, evil usually, uh, normally asked? Well, there's the formal problem of evil, uh, the lo what we call the logical problem of evil, and that is first, I think, stated by Epicurus, but many times since. And the logical problem goes, uh, if God is all good, he would desire to prevent evil, and if he's all powerful, he'd be able to do what he wants. He'd be able to prevent evil. But evil exists, therefore God is either not all good, or not uh, all powerful, or he doesn't exist. Uh, that's the logical problem of evil. Uh, I, I talk about this in my book, but most atheists, I don't know any atheist today, and I don't, I mean, I don't even know one atheist today that any longer uses the logical problem of evil. They've given it up. Maybe not any in scholarship. Well, right. Thank you for that. Good point. That yes, that's a very good point. I was gonna say because uh, down here now, on my level in YouTube land, I hear it all the time. So. Oh yeah, no, you're you're absolutely now good. Thank you for that clarification. I meant the academic atheist. 
village atheists will use it all the time. Uh, but the academic atheists, and I quote a lot of them in my book, they've given up uh, they've given up the logical problem of evil, largely due to the work of people like Alvin Plendinga, mm -hmm. who, because all you have to do is show one possible reason uh, that God might be justified in allowing the evil he allows uh, and still be good and all-powerful. If you can show one possible reason, then the logical problem of evil uh, falls apart. And Plantica succeeded in that, in showing, you know, hey, I, here's, here's a possible reason. And like I say, Plantinga even uh, says it may not even be the real reason. It doesn't have to be, because if you can show just even a possible reason as to why God, a good, uh, loving, all-powerful God, would have to allow evil, then that the logical problem falls apart. And as I said, uh, academic atheists have given up. Uh, they don't even pursue the logical problem of evil. The second way, though, it is still pursued, and it's pursued. The second way it's pursued is the evidential problem of evil, mm. and that is where basically the atheist says, "Okay, yeah, I don't care about the, I don't care about the logical problem of evil. I realize that there's a, there's a potential out, and that's not going to work. But evidentially speaking, does it make sense mm -hmm. that a loving God would allow all the evil that He allows? And, and so really. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on the evidential problem in my book because, well, as I mentioned, I quote a number of atheists ago, it doesn't work. Uh, but I, the book is basically answering the question of why would God be justified in allowing the evil that he allows? So just for the audience, and, and just tell me if this is the right way of conceptualizing it, the logical problem of evil kind of moves from like a deductive... Uh, premise after premise, conclusion. There's no right. way. There's no way God could possibly exist if this argument succeeds. That's true. And the other argument, what you were calling the evidential argument, is more uh, inductive in that it, it really just leads to God problem probably doesn't exist. The logic. Yes, that's right. The logical problem of evil is actually a syllogism. Right. And if the premises were true, uh, then the conclusion would have to follow. Uh, the trouble is, if God is all good, he would desire to prevent all evil. Is That's just not true. That's, that's the false premise. That's the false part. It's just simply not true that a good God could desire, could have reason, have, could have good reason to allow the evil that he, he allows. And that seems to be what's left out of the logical problem of evil, and probably the other one uh, as well, is if God is all good and all powerful, well, they, they, it's just uh, his omniscience or his, his knowledge, his uh, consciousness is always left out. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, the thing about the logical problem of evil is, uh, is at the very least, perhaps God has a reason he's doing it that we don't understand. Yeah. Uh, Plantinga's argument was actually very creative, and Plantinga even said, he says, I'm not even saying this is true, and in fact, I would agree with him, I think it's not, I think it's partially true, but he said, well, what if, he says, now I'm not saying this is true, but what if God, in giving creatures free will, uh, and, and what he did is he says, all, he said, what if Satan and his minions are the creators of all natural evil that's not man-made? And, uh, and then you've got, of course, man-made uh, moral evil, but God wanted to create beings with free will. Uh, and, and atheists read that and went, you know, uh, I don't like the answer, uh, but I can't really say that it's false. And so the logical problem of evil just simply... Ever since Plantinga, Alvin Plantinga, just simply doesn't succeed again. Let me say for the third and hopefully last time, even 
atheists agree uh, that it just simply does the logical problem doesn't succeed. Right. Okay. So what? Uh, what? What? How do you approach uh, if someone asks you if I say okay? So what would? Uh, why? Why does God allow evil, or or uh, how could a good God allow evil? What, how, what, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sure. Well, my short answer is, and and this is not new. Uh, I surely didn't make this up. Uh, and it's it's you know, planting is the basis of planting is argument. C.S. Lewis gave it in the problem of pain. Uh, Augustine actually used it too, and that is because God wanted to create beings with free will. And now that needs, I mean, a colossal amount of unpacking. Sure. Uh, but but one of the things is in that your your viewers can consider that it's it's literally it's logically impossible for God to give beans and I'm B E I N G S. One girl thought I was, was saying beans, like green beans. Uh, <laughs> It's impossible for God to create free beings and uh, not allow them to use their free will wrongly. Right. That's just literally, it's logically contradictory. Yeah, I think uh, William Lane Craig said it uh, well one time when he said, God cannot do the impossible. He can't force a free agent to do anything. That's, right. that's yeah. well put. In exact, yes. And of course, that's it. he can't force a free agent. Now, he could, now God could force free agents to do some things if he wants, yeah. but he has to allow a, but that, but when he does that, they're not free. They're not free at that moment. Yeah. At those moments, they're not free. Uh, so anyway, but yeah, that, right. that's, yes. Uh, so you would take a free will. Uh, well, I, that's the basis of my, the theodicy I present mm -hmm. is uh, free will, is that God wanted to create beings with free will. Now there's again, a tremendous amount of unpacking uh, like where does natural evil come in and but see for me natural evil comes in the overwhelming majority of natural evil is because God warned Adam and Eve he said mm -hmm. on the do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it you will surely die uh, they decided that you know to eat of it anyway uh, and we've been attending funerals ever since right. uh, and then but see then People need to pay attention, close attention to Genesis 3, because then the next thing he does is he curses the ground. Uh, and I can't, and what kind of pestilence, disease, uh, cannot have ensued from God looking at planet Earth and saying, I curse you? Right. So he curses the ground, and then he kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, removing them from the rejuvenating power of the tree of life. And here we are. So natural evil. Uh, all natural evil, in a sense, has its origin in sin, its yeah. ultimate origin in sin. Now that does, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't mean, and uh, listeners need to be careful of this, I am not saying uh, that natural evil, uh, that if somebody does something wrong, it's not, I'm not talking karma here. Right. I'm talking about that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they plunged us into their uh, into a lifelong education of good and evil, and here we are. We're learning that the horror of rebellion against God, uh, but that's the result of free will. So it seems to me what you're saying, as far as natural evil goes, and again, and I want to kind of state this for the audience, but I mean, this just happened to me recently, where I was giving a free will uh, theodicy to uh, an atheist, and he said that that may account for moral evil between human beings, but it doesn't count for uh, natural evil, and I was like, well, I mean, from the Christian theological standpoint, yes, it does. Like, um, Adam and Eve used their free will, uh, and, and that uh, brought all of this on when God cursed the ground. So you would agree that uh, God cursing the ground 
it that is um, kind of how you could you, you would trace back natural disasters and cancer and things and whatever else. Yes, I, I absolutely would. Now, uh, you know, I mean, uh, yes, I, I absolutely would trace back the origin of all evil to that old natural evil to Adam, God cursing the ground, removing them from the garden, uh, and thus the rejuvenating power of the tree of life. Uh, the Lord didn't have, have an obligation, and what I see that, by the way, as is the Lord said to them, so you're going to go your own way, right? So let's just see how you like it, life outside my protection. Right. Uh, let's see how, see, knock yourself out there and see how you like it. I'll, I'll let you go out, outside of my immediate protection and care, and you can now experience what life would be like in rebellion against me. You know that kind of sounds like a like a like a father, like a parent. It does sound a lot like a yeah. I mean, my fail. Like, I mean, my father let me do that and figure things out the hard way. Okay, you don't want to listen to me. Figure it out yourself. See if I'm well, wrong. I'm right. <laughs> I, I do think that's a that's a part of parenting where you sit where a parent says to a child that's bent on something says they want to do this. I want to do this. Oh, no, I something. was bent on so, it. Yeah. yeah, well, you go and you you kind of tell the child, okay, go ahead and knock yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. See, see how you like it, and because and that's what's happened, and so now you and I and everyone else is learning the horror yeah. of rebellion against God. But and that's an eternally valuable lesson: the horror yeah. of rebellion against God. And there is a follow-up question to this, um, at least even for me, which is: okay, I, I understand that we're talking about kind of death and natural disasters or natural evil, just in general, and that's a good distinction to make, is that um, we're not saying, like the crazies are saying, whenever a hurricane hits somewhere, oh. that, that God did that because of you know homosexuality or something like that. We're, that's not what we're saying. We're saying it exists in general because of this original sin. Yes, um, thank you. Yeah, let me just say thank you for bringing that up, because I, I yes, it drives me crazy when you get famous ministers on and they go, the reason the Haiti earthquake happened was because of, because I sit there and I go, you don't know that. No. I mean, you, I mean I'm not going to say that, it's, that it isn't, that sometimes the Lord doesn't bring natural disasters to teach us lessons. I'm not saying that. But we can't say with any authority. Yeah, apart from a revelation, I don't think you could know that. That's right, and I would be I'd be suspicious of this or that famous pastor's revelation. <laughs> uh, that, that they've got a revelation of why this. I anyway. I, yeah. But the, we don't need that. Yeah. We live in a fallen world. Yeah, that's what we mean by that. And so, is this also what you mean? And um, you know, there's much distinction. People people make a lot of distinctions on what this phrase actually means. But is this kind of what you mean when you say we have a sinful nature? Are you saying we have inherited a just a natural world that tends towards this kind of stuff? Or are you speaking more uh, of the human heart? I am speaking of the human heart. Okay. That we inherited Adam and Eve's fallen nature. And the primary aspect of their fallen nature is that they were now out of relationship with God. And what happens when you're out of relationship with God is that your existence becomes about you. Okay. Uh, it can become totally about you, and I think that's the basis of human evil. Is I'm looking out. The people are looking out for number one, and people will sometimes go, "Well, no, I'm also looking out for my family, and my kids, and my you know." And I said, "But they're not. They need to connect something. I'm looking out for my family, mm -hmm. the family that belongs to me." Uh, and and but they'll sit there. So I'm not just selfish. 
No, you're still, <laughs> you're, you're still just selfish. You need to be, uh, and, and you need to be born again. You need to be born from above right. and have a changed heart uh, and have what you, what Adam and Eve lacked. And that, because once Adam and Eve are detached from proper relationship to the creator, then they can just simply go off and, and, uh, and, and everyone after them and live lives for themselves. And that's really what we find in our world is a whole bunch of people living for themselves. Yeah. So, so by sinful nature, you, you, you just mean, uh, are, we're, we're bo are we born or by nature? Um, it, we are born out of relationship. Out of with relationship God. with God is what you mean. And, okay. uh, as a result, we're born with, and that... Would is, you call that guilty or just born out of a relationship? Uh, you know, it's funny. That's... A, <laughs> It's one of the things I I spent a little bit of time on my book dealing with. Yeah. But I do not believe in original guilt. Okay. Uh, in other words, that we are guilty for Adam's sin. Me either. I, I was just wondering. I just learned this recently. Neither did John Calvin. No. Calvin Calvin didn't believe in original guilt either. What I the the trouble with humankind isn't original guilt. The trouble with humankind is uh, that we were born with a nature that has fallen. Uh, and so it says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were by nature objects of wrath. Sure. By nature, that we're fallen, that we're... And frankly, it's because we, you know, once we lost proper relationship with God, we become self-centered. We become consumed with ourselves and what we're doing and who we are. And and uh, anyway, so and that's terribly... Uh, that's where the origin of, of human sin is because people are looking out for number one and of course they're number one now they try to say they're not looking out like I say for number one oh no I'm not that way really no. but uh, if you look at their lives closely and, and as I mentioned I'll say one more time you know say well no because I'm out to take care of my family and my friends well yeah notice the word my yeah. family my friends Jesus said if you only do good to those who are good to you he says what's that everybody yeah. is everyone does that Good that everybody does that. Yeah. Big deal. Um, so what what is it? Uh, why is it important to understand that human beings are all fallen? Even if uh, you seem like a pretty good person, you're still actually sinful or fallen. However you want to say it. Why is it important to understand this with respect to the problem of evil? Well, well, because well, one of the biggest things is is because if you think that people are outside of Christ, if they're basically good. Boy, you have a lot of problems, of course, that ensue from thinking there's a lot of people, good non-Christians. There's a lot of people out there. They're not worshipers of God. They don't. They don't know Jesus, but they're still good. I don't have any problem, uh, as you know, in my book, saying there are no good people. Right. The only people that even have a chance uh, that can start being good are those who are born again, born from above. Uh, you are changed, you become a temple of the Holy Spirit, and so on. Before that, you're just a selfish being. The only way you stop being a selfish being is by entering into a right relationship with the Creator. That's the only way you can stop being a selfish being. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and so, uh, other it, it, that brings up all the things of why does, well then, why do bad things happen to good people? Because these non-Christians over here, they may not be Christians, but they're still good people. And uh, I, I, and that, and you know, how, why would God send good people to hell? See, mm -hmm. it presents a lot of problems if if people are really basically good. But of course, people are not basically good. Um, in fact, people. Uh, one of the things I debunk, I mentioned in my book, is Gandhi, because he's the one. He's the, the always been the poster child for see you can be a non-Christian and be good. 
But as I point out in my book, uh, Gandhi was not a good person. He went to bed with his nieces naked every night. Uh, and the only time he didn't go to bed with his nieces naked, and you can see some rather bizarre pictures of him with his nieces under each arm. They're clothed in the picture, just letting everybody know. But, <laughs> but, but you can see some weird pictures. Uh, the, the only time he interrupted going to bed naked with them is when he was going to bed naked with other men's wives. Uh, I mean, he, he, see, we got to understand doing a good act doesn't make you a good person. You're not a good person because you've done a good act. Yeah, and I mean, if you read and from the New Testament when Jesus says that uh, if you just kind of even have an immoral thought, like what does he say? If you have an immoral thought about a woman, you've committed adultery with her in your that's heart. Right. If that's the standard, then we're in trouble. Well, we're absolutely right. <laughs> and, and so one of the things I, 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 kind of, I, I want to keep pointing out is if somebody, you know, I, if, if you've got a couple, man and a woman who are working in a corporation, let's say, and they're both married to people outside the corporation, and they start flirting with each other, and they start having sexual fantasies about each other, my question is, why don't they actually do the deed? Uh, you know, I mean, they're flirting with each other. Why don't they do it? And the answer is because of self-interest. Namely, I don't want to get pregnant, or I don't want her to get pregnant, or I don't want to have bring home a new disease and have my wife go, wow, that's new, honey. Where'd you get that? Uh, I, don't, I don't want to lose my family. I don't want to... See, notice, though, the motives for not actually doing the deed are not about moral goodness. They're about selfishness. They're about yeah. self-interest. Would, but would you say that those motives, after becoming a Christian, being born again, being born above, did, did they really change? Well, the, the motives are still legitimate. I mean, those motives, if you're motivated because you don't want to hurt your spouse or because you don't want to get a disease, those are legitimate motives. Yeah. But um, the Christian is someone who's be becoming obedient from the heart, the scripture says, yeah. that we're being changed from the inside, and that God wants us to, to be different creatures, and that we can actually begin to know real love and real selflessness. Uh, and, and thus, by the way, so the true Christian, and this is a struggle for many, many men, and of course, if not most, the overwhelming majority of them, and now unfortunately many women, are struggling with lusting after people they're not married to. Uh, and uh, but if you see the difference between me and uh, is I am working very hard not to commit lust in my heart and I'll, I'll tell you something that anyway I know this is slightly off topic but uh, for instance I made a decision years ago that if I ever intentionally clicked on a picture of an unmistakably naked woman that I would fast uh, and now you know I now it's a uh, you know I've I've writ, wrote it down I'll do a six consecutive six meal fast of no calories, uh, and I can guarantee you now the temptation doesn't occur. Well, why did I do that? I did that because I want to be an honorable man, and I want to just cherish my wife, and so I'm taking steps to be different. But see, this is the Holy Spirit working in me, going don't be don't be this kind of a person. Uh, but see, the non-Christian who's allowing sexual fantasy to run rampant in their head. Well, the question you have to ask is, why aren't you actually doing it? Well, it's out of self-interest. Similarly, the guy who hates is somebody. You know, John says, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. Well, because if you hate somebody's guts, why don't you murder them? Well, it's self-interest, right? Because I don't want to go to prison or even get executed. Or what if I get hurt in the process of trying to kill this person? In other words, it's it's not moral goodness that you're not doing it. It's self-interest. Mm-hmm. 
because if you're harboring lust in your heart or you're harboring hateful thoughts in your heart, you're an adulterous murderer, even if you don't actually do those things. And so we have a society full of adulterous murderers who believe they're good people because they're not actually doing the deed. And that's just simply not true. Yeah. So, okay, let's one more question on this sinful nature thing. It's, it's not really a, a digression. I think it's um, proper to talk about it with respect to the problem of evil. But the sinful nature, it, it seems like okay. So I was. It seems like I was born into a world that is fallen and cursed, uh, without any consent of my own. And so, because of that, it kind of seems like I'm being punished because of the sin of Adam. We are, yeah. Why we are suffering for the sin of Adam and Eve, and that's one of the first things that I talk about. Why are we suffering for the sin of Adam and Eve? Uh, and there's a whole bunch to say about this that sure. we don't have time to get into, but I'll just give you one of the biggest reasons. Because people will kind of frame it like, so this couple, you know, thousands or years or how many other years ago was, uh, committed a sin and now we're all suffering because of it. Well, uh, they're not just some couple. They are your original parents. They are your first parents. And it is common, by the way, in our everyday you know, observations, and even for many people viewing your program in their life, parents hurt their children all the time. That's about free will. Uh, I mean, parents, you know, what parent sooner or later isn't going to do something that's not kind or loving or, you know, to their children. Some, some parents drive drunk. Their children end up being maimed because they drove drunk. This is allowing free will. God allowed Adam and Eve to have free will. Uh, the question about that is, is, is that unfair, though? Well, we are learning here because of Adam and Eve's sin. We're learning the horror of rebellion against God. That's what we're learning here. And that's valuable information to take with us into eternity. Uh, and I, I, uh, I can't, you know, an eternity, eternity in heaven will dwarf our suffering here to insignificance. And it's a key point. Eternity, if eternity is true... It'll dwarf our suffering and significance. If eternity isn't true, then Christianity is a false religion, and we ought to do something else. But if eternity is true, then eternity is going to dwarf our suffering and significance. And so people go, yeah, but this is so horrible. Eternity will dwarf this suffering to insignificance. Do you ever flip the script and uh, uh, push the problem of evil back on an atheist interlocutor? No, not really. I, 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 you know, I, I mean, I, I, I know people do that. Uh, and you can sit there and go, well, how can you explain a evil Mr. Atheist, uh, you know, but but I don't, I, I you know, people do that. I, I think it has a little bit of value, but I, I, I've never, I just don't pursue it myself. Okay, yeah. Uh, so do you pursue or respond to the problem of evil different, um, the logical, I mean, word this properly, do you respond differently to the evidential problem of evil uh, differently than you do the logical problem of evil? Well, you know, or, or I mean, do you just take a free will theodicy all the way through? Uh, I, I think a the free will theodicy all the way through. Yeah. Uh, with key point with uh, the fact that we're going to end up uh, in eternity in heaven forever with Jesus, if yeah. people will humble themselves and submit themselves to Him, yeah. then they're going to be in heaven forever. And I'll say again, in heaven. Eternity will dwarf our suffering sure. to insignificance. That's why Paul said in Ephesians, second, or excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter four, 
So this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Yeah. When Paul said beyond all comparison, he was that was not hyperbole. Right. Uh, he meant you literally cannot compare uh, temporal suffering with an eternity of blessing uh, in God's kingdom. You you literally can't compare them. And I, sometimes I'll go into great length to make illustrations to do it. I don't think it's really the time now. But I, I'm just saying... Uh, God is going to, eternity will dwarf our suffering to insignificance. If you lose sight of that, and that's probably the biggest thing, frankly, that is different from my theodicy, the th what I present, my theodicy is actually not my theodicy, uh, the free will theodicy, but what's different from the way I present it, present it with so many other people is I spend, the last three chapters of my book are about uh, heaven mm. and about eternity. And you will find very few books written about the problem of evil that even talk about eternity at all. It's not even, it doesn't show up on their radar. Uh, and, I mean, just pick these, other than uh, you'll get a comment like maybe at the end of the book going, well, I guess we'll find out in heaven. Well, that's not very satisfying. I think we need to spend a lot more time on a robust understanding of the glory that awaits us in heaven forever. Sure, absolutely. And I'm going to ask uh, uh, Dr. Clay Jones, who is my guest today, more about heaven and evil and what we need to know about that in the bonus segment. So if you want to hear that, be sure to follow the link in the description and uh, head on over to our Patreon page and become a supporter so you can watch that. Uh, Dr. Jones, thanks so much uh, for joining me. Before you go, i got one last question for you, and that question is, what would you say to anyone today? Who is um, um, not not just asking this out of curiosity, but is actually struggling with the problem of evil at uh, uh, at some some kind of deeper level? What would you say to them today? Yes, I that that's an important question because uh, you know obviously somebody that's just lost a child or somebody who just found out that their wife was leaving them. Uh, I do not sit down with them and start to explain the the, the reasons right. that God allows evil. Uh, instead, the scripture says to weep with those who weep, yeah. uh, to just be there. What they need is comfort and love, and, and uh, uh, they need maybe some meals, people to bring them yep. meals, just take care of them. That's, you know, so, uh, but there comes a time when the healing, you know, when they kind of get over the initial impact and they say, why did God let this happen? Yeah. Uh, you know, why did God let my child have cancer? Uh, and, and at that point, yeah, that's when we can go in and say, well, we, we know why God allows these things to occur. But yes, in the, immediately when somebody's suffered an immediate crisis, what they need is uh, for us to weep with those who weep. Yeah. I like to say they don't need a philosopher, they just need a friend. But Dr. Right. Dr. Clay Jones, thanks so much for joining me. Again, if you want to uh, stick around for the bonus segment, five more minutes with Dr. Clay Jones to hear him uh, tell us uh, about heaven and evil and free will and all that good stuff, stick around, follow the Patreon link in the description below, and become a supporter of the show. Again, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, sir. It's been a pleasure to be on with you, Hayden. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave us a review. And if you want to watch the five more minute bonus segment with Dr. Clay Jones, be sure to hit the uh, follow the Patreon link in the description below and become a supporter of our ministry. Thanks so much for your support, guys, and we'll see you next time.